0: Welcome back to another episode of Art in the Making, a podcast produced and hosted by me, Caroline Cook,
1: and me, Courtney McKee. This year's Conroy and Irby programming interns at the Hood Museum of Art at Dartmouth College.
0: This podcast is about how art's made. We're tracing the history of different materials used in the creation of art through the ages and highlighting pieces in the Hoods collection that you can see for yourself. If you've joined us
1: before, you've looked at stone and metalwork already. But what about something softer, something pliable?
0: What about something two dimensional? Ooh, you've guessed it.
1: Today, we're talking about paper.
0: Oh my gosh, I just realized we've gotten rock, paper, scissors now. You mean rock, scissors, paper? What?
1: Anyways, it's true. (laughs) These three materials cover an awful lot of early art. When you think of art in a gallery, you probably think of paintings, which are a lot closer to paper than iron ore.
0: That's true, but how did we start working in two dimensions? How did we turn brittle fibers into pliant paper?
1: Well, Caroline, it's a question that takes us back to ancient Egypt. You've probably heard of papyrus, but what exactly is it?
0: The early predecessor of what we call paper first emerged in ancient Egypt around 3000 BCE. Egyptians made papyrus from a plant by the same name, papyrus, that's native to marshy areas like the banks of the Nile River. The plants are rough and green on the outside, but the white pith on the inside is the material that was used to make the papyrus.
1: And the pith was ideal for this purpose because it's made of vascular tissue, which transports water and nutrients from the soil up through the plant, so the fibers are long and strong.
0: That makes sense.
1: Picture the vertical grain on a wooden table, and you'll know what we're talking about. The sheets of papyrus were made by crisscrossing the pith slices at perpendicular angles in order to increase the strength.
0: Yeah, it might sound simple, but the process was really time-consuming, and it took a lot of skill to cut sheets thin enough to actually write on. It's believed that this whole process was achieved somehow without any sort of adhesive.
1: The Egyptians didn't write this stuff down? Even though they had paper to keep records?
0: Uh No, they didn't. But Pliny the Elder, the Roman author, wrote about the process in pretty vague terms, so we know that the sheets were pressed and then dried, maybe even in the sun.
1: And once the sheets were all dry, they were made into rolls. And here's where the glue comes in.
0: Right, so the sheets were overlapped just at the edge and adhered with a paste made from some sort of starch.
1: The rolls were a practical choice. If you're an Egyptian scribe and you're writing (laughs) horizontally across the sheets, when you're all done, you roll it up and the text is protected on the inside of the roll.
0: Yeah, I wish my notebooks did that. You know how much ink I've accidentally smeared during a lecture?
1: No, Caroline, how many sheets of notes have you ruined?
0: Saying is, do you think my professors would mind if I started bringing a scroll to class? Worth a shot. So while the earlier remnants of paper come from the second century BCE in the Kanju province of China, whoa, that's early. I know. Paper was officially recorded as being invented by a Chinese court official from the Eastern Han Dynasty called Cai Lun in the second century CE.
1: Silen took bark from a mulberry tree, hemp, and rags of fabric, mixed them with water, mashed them to a pulp, strained out the water, and then dried the leftover flattened material in the sun until they formed a sheet. The end result would be thicker and rougher than printer paper, but it sure was paper. (laughs)
0: The earliest use for paper in China was wrapping and protecting delicate objects like mirrors, but by the 3rd century CE, parchment was being used for writing.
1: It is said that the secret of papermaking stayed in Asia until a battle between the Tang Dynasty and the Abbasid Caliphate in the 8th century. This resulted in Chinese prisoners being caught and divulging the technique. However, the truth is that paper was being made in Central Asia and the Muslim world before the 8th century, with the technique likely being spread by traveling merchants
0: and monks along trade routes. Oh, like the Silk Road. Exactly. So paper only reached Europe, however, around the 11th century after the Umayyads conquered the Iberian Peninsula. Still, its use was not widespread, though, because paper was considered to be an inferior material to parchment. Are they not the same thing? Well, not originally.
1: Parchment was the material of choice in Europe, and it is the material of which the famous illuminated manuscripts of the Middle Ages, such as the Book of Kells, are made.
0: Right. Parchment is composed of the skin of animals, usually goat, sheep, or cow. Vellum is a finer type of parchment made from the skin of young animals, usually calves, hence the name veal of vellum. But sometimes lamb or kid, uh, baby goats, just to be clear.
1: (laughs) Well, the process of making parchment involves washing the skin clean of dirt or bugs and then soaking the skin in lime for several days to help remove the hair. What is lime? Good question. Lime is a caustic alkaline substance made primarily of calcium and an oxide or hydroxide. Lime water, which the skins would have been soaked in, was a dilute of calcium hydroxide. After the skin is soaked, It's then scraped with a rounded, sharp-edged tool to remove the remaining hair and the, the upper film of skin.
0: Okay, so the skin is then hooked into a frame, and gradually the screws are tightened in order to stretch it out into really thin sheets. These sheets are then cut into rectangles. Oh, and by the way, you can make your own paper. If you get so inspired, it's actually a lot easier than you might think.
1: All right, all you have to do is save some cardboard scraps from boxes or packaging. You can cut the scraps into pieces and soak them in water until they get mushy. Mm. You'll then need some sort of mesh to capture the scraps and drain the water. But if you leave them to dry in the shape of a rectangle, you'll end up with sheets of paper.
0: Now, I wouldn't put it in your printer, but no. you could use it as scrap paper. You can make greeting cards or anything else. It's a great way to recycle the cardboard that circulates around us. So what can we look at in the Hood's collection?
1: Well, you mentioned a printer, and now I'm thinking about woodblock
0: prints. (laughs) Oh, that's a great idea! Paper and different weights and sizes of it had a lot of significance in the evolution of Japanese printmaking. Paper was cut in standard sizes, so once a new size hit the market, it totally influenced the way that an artist would lay out an image.
1: Portraits, for example, became popular once Oban emerged, which was a larger size of paper. Similarly, the traditional pillar prints, or hashira-e, and the hanging scrolls, kakemono-e, were popularized first by their shape and size, Hanging yeah. a long, thin print in your house was very fashionable.
0: And to stay on trend, artists had to find innovative compositions that could fit those shapes. So waterfalls became super popular, and they accentuate the cut of the paper. Yeah,
1: that's a really interesting example, because with these woodblock prints, we can see that the material, the paper, and also the wood and the ink influence what is depicted and how.
0: Yeah, it's not always the reverse like we think it is.
1: You have to imagine that if an artist wants to paint a waterfall, they have to figure out the best way to do it when, in fact, they can do it because the material allows it.
0: We have a really rich collection of woodblock prints at the Hood, which captures a lot of different trends within Japanese printmaking tradition, as well as different techniques and different materials.
1: Yeah, and if you compare a few, you'll see that the weight of the paper and the kinds of ink used all change the way the print looks. Yeah,
0: that's right. We might think of paper as a blank surface, Mm. But how thick it is, how smooth it is, and what kind of materials it's made from, all change the way that the ink is absorbed in the printmaking process.
1: And during the long evolution of Japanese
0: printmaking,
1: a range of different colors emerged and were in vogue at different times.
0: You know, paper's a lot more complicated than I thought.
1: Caroline, would you say it's not as light as it
0: seems? Oh my god. The first piece I want to look at is called Prosperity of Tokyo. Fashion of the Street. Mm. It's a late 19th century print by Utagawa Hiroshige III in three separate pieces that together make this one scene. It's a busy and colorful composition that's crowded with pedestrians and horses and people pulling carts. They're of different classes, and so they're wearing different styles of clothing. Mm. The harbor is visible on the horizon, dotted with boats, and behind it is a bright red gradient. Yeah, What might strike you at
1: first is how many different colors are present on the page. A lot of Japanese prints are marked by their relatively limited color palette, while this one is super vibrant. Yeah. The detailed clothing of the crowd is shaded in purples and teals and bright reds and yellows. Wow. The foreground is a pale green that fades into white before the ground turns into water. There's a stripe of dark, really intense blue at the top of the sky.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. And this wide range of colors suggests a really sturdy sheet of paper. Why is that? Well, really, it's all about the medium. We have to remember that this is a wood block print, which means each color present required a separate block to be carved, and another step in the printing process. One block, the key block, would lay down all the outlines.
1: So subsequent block would fill in the planes that are blue, another will fill in the planes that yes. are red, and so on?
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So not only does a wide color palette necessitate more steps in the printmaking process, and more blocks to carve and more ink, but it also means that this page is really going to soak up some ink. I'd never thought about that before. Yeah, I think, you know, paper might be more complex than we give it credit for. The paper
1: used by traditional printmakers was called washi, and it was quite thin considering how durable Mm. it was. The paper that was strong enough to survive this many colors, which each require a lot of pressure to transfer the ink, was made from the inner bark of mulberry trees.
0: Okay, so that's definitely going to be a finer grain and a smoother surface than, say, the strong, thick fibers of a papyrus plant. Yeah,
1: definitely. The source material for the paper matters a lot here. It sounds like the Japanese printmaking industry was so lucrative that a lot of the supply chain evolved, too.
0: Like, paper started having standardized sizes. That brings
1: us to our next piece, actually. American artist Everett Shin drew this pastel sketch of a busy scene in Trafalgar Square in London in 1900. Some architecture can be seen in the background as horse-drawn carriages and pedestrians pass by where the viewer is situated.
0: It's really illustrative and captures a strong sense of movement among pedestrians and the carriages, which is really fun to compare to the Japanese print of a few decades earlier. But the really interesting reason to include this piece, it's because it's on machine-woven tan paper.
1: Right, by this time, manufacturers could produce different colors of paper. And if you're working in pastel, A toned paper allows you to add in darker shadows and also lighter highlights, since your paper is already the mid-tone.
0: Yeah, you know, I think it's the white in this piece that really pops. I agree,
1: and the sketchy quality really shines specifically because the paper is so smooth and industrial.
0: That's so cool. The main action of this piece is in pastel, but the inscriptions are in pen and ink and graphite, so you can see how the different materials sit on the surface of the paper. Writing on a sheet of smooth paper can be really satisfying.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, we all have that one pen that just writes better. (laughs) Or maybe you like the way your handwriting looks when you use that one pencil. Have you ever thought about why that is?
0: Well, it's probably what they call the tooth of the paper. Even a sheet that seems really smooth still has some texture to it.
1: I also think it's interesting to see how differently the red plays in this scene than in the Hiroshige print. Yeah. This is a more orange-red and some of that might come from the tan tone of the paper, but it could also be from the medium. Yeah, The pastels sit on the surface of the paper whereas the ink really soaks in.
0: That's a great point and if you can't make it into the Hood Museum or these pieces aren't currently included in an exhibit you can still see them and the whole collection online. Paper is a lot easier to take in digitally than mm-hmm. some of the other materials we've talked about so far, so check it out and see what we're talking about. <laughs>
1: The paper you're probably most familiar with, and on which you've probably drawn some doodles yourself, is printer paper. So let's talk about exactly what differentiates common printer paper from the earlier types. Printer paper is made from trees specifically grown to make paper. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. And from these, cellulose is extracted and packaged into blocks.
0: The length of the fibers in the cellulose determine the quality of the paper, with longer fibers meaning stronger paper. Printer paper is made of short fibers, which account for its light weight and how easy it rips. The short fibers of cellulose are soaked in water and then chalk is added, which will make the paper whiter as well as fill in the gaps between the fibers to make it smoother. The fibers, chalk, and water are then ground down into microfibers and spun in cyclone filters to remove any impurities. Next.
1: The mixture is spread evenly on huge nets. And at this point, the mixture is around 99.5% water. For every one pound of paper made, you need around 100 pounds of water. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Making recirculation of this water environmentally essential. Some dyes are also added at this point to balance out the yellowish tinge of the cellulose. And what remains now is to take away the excess water, which takes a number of
0: steps. So first, the saturated sheet is pressed between two layers of felt. Then the water is re-wetted with starch, the common sources of which are maize, corn, potato, wheat, and tapioca. The purpose of this step is to A, strengthen the paper, B, ensure that no fibers are sticking up, and C, impede the paper's ability to continue absorbing water. Next, the water is removed again using high pressurized air and put in an oven where large steel drums press and flatten the sheet. Finally, after computer checks for inconsistencies in the
1: thickness of the sheet, it is rolled up into what looks like, well, frankly, a giant roll of toilet paper. (laughs) This is ready to be cut into standard sizes and distributed. Phew, that was a lot. Yep, but even with all those steps, that was a simplified account (laughs) of the modern process of making paper, an industry that generated $518 billion in the U.S. in 2019.
0: It is clear that we've come a long way from cutting and crisscrossing papyrus pith.
1: Absolutely, and to think that a material that was so highly valued in the past is easily accessible to us— making it possible for anyone to become an artist.
0: Just by picking up a piece of scrap paper and a ballpoint pen. So that's our overview of a few thousand years of paper history. I'm never taking a sheet of paper for (laughs) granted ever again, that's for sure. Yeah, I think we learned a lot about how the materials used in making paper can vary. And how the characteristics of the paper can impact the overall look and feel of the art that's created with it.
1: The most interesting thing to me is how the medium itself and all the emerging technologies that go with it can sometimes influence what the artist is seeking to create, not always the other way around. Yeah, for sure. Join us next time for an in-depth look at marble. It's a really ancient medium with really modern techniques. When exactly was the drill
0: invented? The answer might surprise you. Ooh, I'm intrigued. Me too. See you then. Bye.